so Jesus said, so the last will be first and the first last. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. So is that fair? The last being first and the first being last? I know when I was in grade school, I sure didn't think so. Especially if you were standing in line to get a drink or in the lunch line and and for some reason the teacher allows somebody from the back to come up and, and go first? Well, that's not fair. How many examples can you think of of things that, well, just aren't fair? In fact, how many times have you said that to your kids, perhaps, or, or you've heard it yourself when, when you've been confronted with something that wasn't fair and complaining about it and taking issue, maybe being a little bit angry and upset, and somebody tries to take you aside and say, hey, life's not fair. I'm going to give you a minute, permission to think about perhaps one of the most unfair things that's ever happened in your own life. I'll give you that permission to think about it and to recall it. Now, if your blood pressure starts to elevate too much, then you need to back away and come back to us. But, but just take a moment to think. Perhaps as you're thinking, you're trying to narrow it down to what would stand out as the most unfair thing because there's so many that you've had in your life. Think about what we're going through in society right now. The people that certainly are feeling that society is unfair. That there is a system that's stacked against them. And that they're not being treated fairly in so many and many different ways. Think of what impact this um, coronavirus has had on our society and businesses and livelihoods and, and entertainment and, and the way that we want to do church and school. Is that fair? I have a feeling that all of us can come up with a whole list of things that remind us that life's not fair. And our gospel lesson for today, quite frankly, I don't think it helps much, <laughs> if I dare say that. At least the perspective that people are always treated fairly. You have this parable that Jesus tells, and, and it's pretty clear that these folks that he hired, or that, that Jesus reports that the owner hired at the beginning of the day, and apparently a 12-hour day was, was um, a standard, and a denarius was considered a day's wages. So I don't know what that would translate today. Uh, depends on what you're doing, I suppose. But even at the minimum of, of quote, minimum wage for, for 12 hours, uh, I mean, you'd be talking somewhere in the 100 to $150 range, if, if not more. Well, these folks had agreed. The owner needed help, and he hired them. 
But then, whether it's the case that in Jesus' story, the owner had such a great harvest or there was so much work to be done, he had to go get more. And there were some still there three hours later and six hours later and nine hours later. This is now well into the afternoon. And the owner says, hey, come on, there's still work to be done. Why don't you come? I'll pay you what is right. No contract, nothing to sign, just an understanding. And lo and behold, an hour before quitting time, he still finds people that don't have work. And he makes the same arrangement with them. Come on, work, and I'll pay you what's right. So, the story would be fine, I think. In fact, it wouldn't even be a story if it only involved those folks who worked from the beginning of the day to the end. Because what would have happened? They would have worked their 12 hours, they would have received their pay and gone home, and everybody would have been happy. But the problem is that there were others that were treated better than they. When these ones who had only worked an hour get a denarius, a full day's wage, and and when that word got around to the back of the line as they were waiting to receive their pay, well, isn't it only natural to think that, wow, if he's given those people a full day's wage, I mean, wow, we've worked 12 hours, but what's he going to give us? And it was those expectations that led to the disappointment of receiving exactly what they had agreed to and were expecting. But because of the generosity of what this owner had done for others, they became disappointed. In fact, they grumbled, we're told. Now, why did Jesus tell this parable to begin with? And why did, did Matthew record it for us for, for eternity, for millions and millions of God's people to read? Well, as with a lot of things, I don't know if we ever get the full understanding of that. But I think a lot of it is going to depend on how we view the master's response to those who are complaining. You see, it's possible that one of the reasons Jesus tells this parable is that perhaps there are those who need to be, quote, straightened out because of their sinful greed and covetousness They need to be called back to what it means to be content. Think of these workers. They were going to be perfectly fine until they got wind of a greater blessing to somebody else. And then they were unhappy. I wonder if that ever hits home to you. I know it does to me. Even though I've been blessed in so many ways and and God has provided for me and, and I could count the blessings, I mean, I couldn't even count the blessings. And yet, what happens when I see what other people have? 
When I see what, how God has blessed somebody else, whether it's with belongings or skills or, or enjoyment or whatever it might be, and there I am grumbling, complaining. Wait a minute, that's not fair. And maybe because of that sinful nature, we need to hear maybe a stern reminder from the master to say, wait a minute, have I done you wrong? Have I not fulfilled my commitment to you? Just because I choose to bless somebody in a different way, does that mean I'm not blessing you? You begrudge me my generosity? What, what kind of an attitude is that? If that applies to us, we stand condemned, don't we? We stand condemned because of the sin of covetousness and, and greed and self-centeredness. But it's also possible that Jesus told this parable to address those who, well, let's face it, there are many things in our world that are unfair that maybe have nothing to do with money or possessions in that sense. Maybe we're dealing with things that are of a, a much more, um, well, uh, beyond the physical in nature. Think of the unfairnesses. We just learned of one of our own members who was relatively young and did not seem to have any health issues, but we're going to be praying for Wayne Pickleman's family because he died. Is that fair? I think of a, a woman who as a, as a child had a sister, just one sister, and due to aplastic anemia, this sister of hers died as just a young girl. And although she's dealt with that, Yet there are times when she realizes how much she misses what a sister would mean to her and how much she would be participating in her life. Is it fair that her sister was taken from her? Is it fair that a, that a man who is elderly but was still very active and had lots of hopes and plans for many things and as the result of some bizarre fall is left as a quadriplegic who is not even able to, as he says, scratch his nose when he wants to. And he's completely dependent on others for, for everything. Is that fair? And it's entirely possible that when we get hit with these kind of things and when we feel the anger that is part of it and, and some of the resentment and so forth, we know it's wrong. We know that God is good. We know that, that you know, somehow God is at work, but, but man, we feel guilty for feeling the way that we do. And I wonder if... Jesus doesn't tell this parable when we're in those kind of situations. Notice how the owner of the vineyard comes to those who are complaining. 
where perhaps he doesn't say it in the stern way to say, hey, just be content with what you have and go. Life's not fair. Perhaps the owner came to them and as he uses this word friend, friend, don't you see? There are others who have greater needs. I mean, these folks didn't have a job to no fault of their own, perhaps. They were, they were not being hired. And, and so I met the need that, that they needed at that time. And, and yes, you are just receiving what we had agreed to, but there may come a time where, where you also might be unexpectedly blessed. And that certainly won't be fair either. But, but please try to understand that that this is about grace and not about the law. I don't know how many 8th graders from St. Lawrence might be listening to this sermon or attendance here, but if you paid any attention to the hymn that we just sang, you'll notice that it referenced and it had different verses that focused on both law and gospel. Guess what? It was written by Martin Luther. (laughs) Surprise anybody? He lays it out very clearly. He talks about if you live by the law, yeah, you might get rewarded for your efforts. But guess what? In the long run, it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't bring happiness. It doesn't bring about the eternal security that each and every one of us has and needs. The law can only lead us to self-righteousness or despair. And that's why Luther was willing to risk everything when the gospel was revealed to him through the Holy Word and through the Holy Spirit when he came to realize our life with Jesus is not based on the law, it's based on the gospel, the good news that God is gracious to us and gives us everything that we need without any merit or worthiness in us. We see that in, in Paul's life, I think. We read this reading from Philippians chapter 1, and history tells us that when Paul wrote these words, he was in prison. He had chains. He was awaiting trial. And there was a very good possibility that if he was found guilty, that he would indeed be executed. Was it going to be fair? And as we read the book of Acts, we find out there was a lot of things that happened to Paul that were not fair. He was imprisoned unjustly, he was beaten, he was tortured, he was left for dead. There were lots of things that were unfair. And yet, by the grace of God, he was able to say this. He was able to say I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's seeing the good that is coming out of it because of him, the imperial guard of Caesar, now has heard about Jesus. Imagine. Our Old Testament lesson has some words that you also might have recognized. When God says, for my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts and your thoughts. 
And we often apply these things to those very difficult, unfair situations of life, don't we? When we've been handed the raw deal, when things just don't go the way they're supposed to, we might draw some comfort from these words and say, you know what, God does know what he's doing. I may not be able to see it at the time, but his ways are higher than mine. And that's not an inappropriate way to apply these words. But when you look at the context, when you look at the verse or two right before those words, well, I'll read it to you. It says this, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he, the Lord, may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. And the verse continues. Do you see the context where God is challenging us to say how we don't understand him? It's not from the law perspective of, hey, it's from the gospel perspective. If I choose to forgive the evil man, the one who has forsaken the Lord, let him return to me that I may have compassion on him or her. Is that fair? Is it fair that someone who's done evil should get forgiveness from God? Is it fair that someone who has lived for themselves and not for others should be treated with kindness and grace? Is it fair that someone who has lived their life in a way that is not worthy of the calling of Christ should be treated as a son or a daughter? But in God's economy of things, that's how he chooses to operate unfairly. He has chosen to demonstrate the grace that we do not deserve to each and every one of us. He's chosen to bless us in so many ways. He has chosen to call us his children. He has chosen to give us the kingdom all things are ours in Christ. This is not fair because he wasn't fair to his own son. It was not fair what Jesus had to go through. It was not fair that he who had lived a perfect life in thought, word, and deed, who had loved his neighbor as himself, who had loved God with all of his heart, soul, strength, and mind, should be hanging on a cross, being cursed and condemned and ridiculed and rejected by men. It's not fair. But that's how God chose to bring about your salvation. That's how God chose to make you one of his beloved so that he can say to each one of us, friend, I'm not doing you any wrong. Receive my blessings 
and give glory to God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.